Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Christ, and we thank you so much for the gift of your word. How is it that we know that you abide with us? How is it, Lord, that we hear from you? How is it, Lord, that we commune with you? It's because you have spoken to us in your word. How precious that is, Lord. When we come to this moment where we are looking at your word together, remind us of just how deep and powerful this is. Lord, for, would you remove our cynicism? Would you, Lord, Would you show us Christ in your word this morning? It's in his name we pray, amen. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, we're looking this morning at verses 1 through 7. 1 through 7. So we've been following the life of Jesus here on earth, as John tells it in his gospel. We have seen him turn water into wine. We've seen him go to Samaria. We saw him come back from Samaria, come to his own people and do signs there, do miracles there. And then we saw him go to the Feast of Booths. So our story today happens after the Feast of Booths, but it happens before the Feast of Dedication. So there's about a three-month window between the Feast of Booths and the Feast of Dedication, and we're going to get to the Feast of Dedication in just a couple chapters. We're in that window right now with this story. Jesus gives a blind man his sight, a man who was born blind at that. There's a couple reasons why this story is here that we're going to take a look at as we work through it. We're going to take this in a couple of weeks, but the big one is the same reason that John includes all of these stories in his gospel so that you can know who Jesus is. It's interesting how John does this. So years ago, I was trying to give counsel to somebody who was going through a hard time. I wasn't their pastor, but I had listened, I had thought about it, I had talked with them, I had even walked them through what I thought the Bible said that was helpful for them in that situation. And nothing. <laughs> I could tell, even as I was talking to them, even as we were, we were talking about what they were going through, and even as we were looking at the Bible, I, I could tell I was not getting through to them at all. There was, there was no, no engagement that was happening there. And, and so, uh, you know, you're like, okay, fine, whatever. Uh, a couple of months go by, and we got back together again, and this time they were just so excited. You, you could just see, that they seemed different. And I asked them how they were doing, and they said they were doing so much better. And I was like, oh, great. Great, like, what changed? What happened? And they said, well, I was talking to my pastor, and, I, and, and, and what he said, I just, I had the best conversation, like, he saw it, uh, and so they said, this is what he told me. They walked me through it. They were like, this is, I just, I'd never heard anything like this. It was the weirdest thing. You know Why? Because I sat there listening, and, and all I could think, do you know what I was thinking? That's what I said. That's literally what I said. I even used that exact same phrase. I even went to that same scripture. They looked at me like I was just a rock or something. But when he said it, or maybe how he said it, maybe when he said it, they saw it. 
They experience the life-giving nature of the Bible. There's another time, you know, I sat down with a couple and I was walking through scripture with them. And again, it was like nothing stuck at all. But you fast forward five or four or five years and a bunch of heartache and we sat down again and it was a totally different story that time. Just a note, I said the exact same things both times. But this time, it was heard. It was understood. My favorite story of this, and I've mentioned it before, was the guy I met who he got saved in college. And he said that he had never heard the gospel before in his life. He had never heard biblical preaching, even though he'd grown up in the church. There was sort of a temptation there to say, you know, boo on the church that he grew up in. But when he was asked what church he grew up in, it turned out that he had grown up in the church where John Stott was the pastor of that church. If you, if you know who John Stott is, he was a, a brilliant writer, and um, he absolutely preached the gospel week in and week out. Uh, and, uh, but this, this young man said, I'd never heard the gospel preached. Don't be discouraged. So one of the things I, I, I want to think there is don't be discouraged just because you show somebody Jesus and they don't see him. Keep showing who Jesus is. Uh, another practical reminder is just because somebody says that a, the church they came from never preached the gospel, it may be that they just never heard it. Those are two different things. But don't be discouraged just because you show somebody Jesus and they don't see him. Keep showing who Jesus is. Keep showing him in different ways. This is exactly what John is doing in his gospel. He is holding up Jesus and he's turning different angles and saying, do you see this about Jesus? Did you see that about Jesus? Did you see the way that he's the light of the world? Did you see the way that he is the living water? Did you see the way that he's the shepherd? Did you see the way that he's the bread? Did you see the way that he's the word? Keep showing Jesus. This is the method that John is using in his gospel. Because the most important is who Jesus is and why that matters. And this is what John is showing here. But people, the problem is, people are blinded by darkness. And so Jesus has told us that he's the light of the world. And now, after telling us he's the story, it's an earthly story. It's a physical story. It's a biological story. An actual man who can't see. And he hasn't been able to see since birth. Jesus makes him able to see. But you and I, by now, we've been paying attention in John, right? We've picked up on Jesus' pattern. Oh, you want to talk about birth? We're going to talk about spiritual birth. Oh, you want to talk about the water? You want to talk about bread? We're going to talk about living bread. We picked up on this. Jesus, remember the point of, of the earlier chapters, chapters 5 through 7, they were so earthly minded, they were no heavenly good. We should have learned from Jesus. And so we ought to see here that there is symbolism in John telling an earthly story about a blind person. When he's talking about light in the darkness and he gives an actual blind person their sight, we should not miss the spiritual point here. We are blind from birth. 
be opened. Who does that? Jesus. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. We're going to take the story in two parts. And then next week we're going to look at the aftermath of the miracle how the blind man responded, what the Jewish leadership did. But we're going to start with the miracle itself. And so first off this morning, I want you to see this miracle is a statement. That's point one. This miracle is a statement. There's always levels to what John is up to. I hope you've seen that by now as well. That's why his gospel has such depth. It can be read and it can be reread with so much value. And it's no different here. There's the one level Jesus is the light of the world, and when he comes, he lights the way for us to see. But there's another level here that makes this miracle a statement. Here's an interesting thing. There are not many stories about blind people getting their sight in Scripture. You would be hard-pressed. In fact, in Scripture, there's a definite connection to miracles where blind people get their sight. Do you know what the connection is? With one unique exception, giving the blind their sight is the work of God. It's the work of God. It's not the work of the disciples. It's the work of God. In the Old Testament, we see several passages. Exodus 4.11, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or seeing, or blind, is it not I, the Lord? Psalm 146, 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Isaiah 29, verse 18, in that day and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Isaiah 35, 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Isaiah 42, 7, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. In Isaiah, what is he referencing there? He's referencing the work of God, the coming work of what God will do. No one else. And of course, you can already see that play on words in those passages in Isaiah there is physical blindness. But when he says to open the eyes of the blind, to bring the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness, he's talking about the spirit will do. It is God who opens eyes. And then we come to the New Testament. 
And who is the one in the New Testament who's always opening eyes? It's Jesus. You can see it throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Leon Morris points out, there are more miracles of giving sight to the blind recorded of Jesus than healings in any other category. The exception, the unique case, is when Ananias gives sight to a blind man in Acts chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. But we can call that case truly exceptional because the man who was blind was Saul, and who made him blind? It is God who opens eyes. So this miracle and the other miracles where Jesus gives sight to a blind person, they are a statement. And again, here's what Leon Morris says. It is a divine function, a function for God's own Messiah that Jesus fulfills when he gives sight to the blind. So this is something for us to sit on whether it's physical or whether it's spiritual, whether that blindness comes biologically or whether that blindness comes through sin spiritually, you can't open someone's eyes. Only God can do that. Have you thought about the joy of the joy that Jesus brings? If Jesus had not come, we would all remain blind. And God would have still been just, and he would have still been right, and we would have been blind. But God did not do that, did he? The second person of the Trinity came to open blind eyes. That's why he's here in John. He's here to make the blind see. This is something beautiful, but don't lose heart because you have told somebody how you love Jesus. Don't lose heart because you've told somebody about the beauty of Jesus and they're not seeing it yet. Don't lose heart. Dads, don't lose heart when your children don't see it yet. Moms, it may feel like you have said the same thing a hundred times this week and it's still blindness. But you know what? Your job and my job, it's not to open blind eyes. Our job is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Our job is to show Christ Let's stay in our pay grade. God is the one who opens the blind eyes. Pray to him, trust in him, and continue proclaiming Christ because there is no other way that blind eyes will be opened than through Christ. So we just say what we're seeing. We say what we see. This miracle is a statement in and of itself of how Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. He's the one Isaiah was talking about who would open blind eyes and free those imprisoned in darkness. Do you see it here in John 9? He's making a blind person see. But again, let's not be so earthly-minded. We're no heavenly good. Let's pick.
He's making this blind person see as a picture of what he has come to do. He's come to make all of us see his glory. This miracle and what happened around it, this is a statement of who Jesus is. He is God. Nothing. And we have to be clear on that. He is God. We're, um, at some point, we're going to be, one of the, the classes that I put out there in the, the Sunday school was theology, what it is and why it matters. I'm planning on doing all of those classes at some point, by the way. That one, I think about, we're, we're going to spend time on who God is in the Trinity. The Trinity is such a beautiful, beautiful picture. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We're going to be talking more shortly when, when Jesus starts talking about the Spirit and how there are three persons to the Godhead. It's not one God who shows up in three different ways. It's three persons in the Trinity, one God. It's hard for us to understand. But here we see the Son of God, Jesus, doing what only God could do, opening blind eyes. So that's the first thing. This miracle is a statement. But this man, he was blind from birth, and so the disciples, they ask a question. They say, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Our second point this morning is to ask, what is this miracle for? What is this miracle for? This miracle is a statement declaring that Jesus is God, but beyond that, what is this miracle for? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? If you were into logical fallacies, you would go, hey, well, wait a second. I mean, this isn't an either-or situation here, is it? It doesn't have to be one thing or the other, but that's how they phrased it. They've assumed for all of us there can only be one thing. It can either be that he sinned or that his parents sinned, and that's why he was born blind. And, and that's how many of the Jews thought. Of course, it's how many people think, too. It only happen as payback for something that we've done. The, 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 the trials we go through are only because... We have done something wrong, and this is what we get in return. That's how Job's friends thought. If you were to read the book of Job, and you were to read, his friends say a lot of really smart things. And frankly, they say a lot of things that make a lot of sense. But the problem is they are working from this mindset that says, Job you had to have done something wrong for God to do this to you. But we know that's not the case, right? We know that Job hadn't done anything wrong. We know, no, it was just the opposite, actually. This was happening to Job because he had been a righteous man. God was up there with Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, well, it's easy for him to be righteous. Look at all the stuff that he's got. And so God took it all from him. God said, Satan, you may do everything but kill him. But his friends were sure. No, for God to have done this to him. And this is the same way that the disciples are thinking here now. 
But listen to what Jesus says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We're going to break this down. We're going to break Jesus' answer down here. First, neither this man nor his parents sinned. It's not as simple as his disciples think. It's not as simple as Job's friends thought either. It's not either or here. There can be other reasons for trials and suffering that have nothing to do with a response to a particular sin. We need to know that. And Job is a beautiful, powerful, sobering story about that because Job was a righteous man. God allowed Satan to bring all sorts of calamity on Job and his family. Why? Think about this. Because it brought God glory. Didn't it? It brought God glory. When he says, have you considered my servant Job? And then he says, you could bring calamity on Job. And he will be righteous. That will bring God, glory. The works of Job were to bring God glory. And that's why he suffered. Now consider Job when he's tested. And you see the fruit of his righteousness. That's why he suffered. And here... In John 9, it wasn't because of sin that this man was born blind. What was it? It was to bring glory to God that this man was born blind. So what was this for? This is so the work of God might be displayed. That's what this was for. Think about this. Think what the Bible says here, because this is challenging, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't act like it's not. This man lived a whole life until this point as a blind man so that God could be glorified in Jesus Christ and his work. This man was forced to live his whole life blind so that at this moment God could be glorified through Jesus and his work. It makes me think of Psalm 8. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And a little later, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? We could just as easily have asked, instead of saying, what is this miracle for? We could have asked another question. People for? What are we for? Christian, what are you here for? Why has God put you on this earth for the time that He's put you here? It's for this. 
that he would be glorified in us. That we would know him, we would love him, we would rejoice in him, we would live for him and bring him glory. This statement of Jesus, it is a blunt statement of God's purpose in his creation. His purpose is his glory. What is that for you and I? One thing that it ought to be for you and I is a place to rest in the middle of trials. That truth is a place to rest in the middle of your trials. Whatever you're going through, it's not outside the power and the sovereign rulership of this God who fashioned the stars. Whatever you're going through, it's of his control. So a place to rest in the midst of your trials is that God has brought you there so that his works might be displayed through you. God brought you here so that his works might be displayed through you. Remember what Paul said, this is a light momentary affliction. We're waiting for the eternal weight of glory. Our eyes are fixed on what God is doing. We understand his will. We understand his story. And so we understand, yes, you may be in the middle of terrible trials right now. Understand whatever else. We can get, we can get lost in sort of this tornado of trying to figure out why this is happening to me. What did I do to bring this upon me? Because, again, we think that way too. We try and find the cause. What did I do? And maybe there is one. I mean, it's certainly true. It is certainly true that sin reaps consequences. But we can get so caught up in the tornado of, oh, why? That we forget that ultimately, where you are right now, what you are going through, this is an opportunity for God's works to be shown through you, Christian. The picture here is that this man's blindness, which in and of itself is not a good thing. We can say that. People ought not to have been born blind. That's not God's design. Many people ought not to have been born the way that they were born. We live in a fallen and cursed world. But is this, God redeems those effects of the curse. God takes things that ought not be and makes them beautiful. Christian, you know how you and I, we can be a part of that. When we look at something and we say it ought not to be this way, then we say, may the works of God be displayed in glory in it. God redeems the effects of the curse. God can redeem blindness and use it for something wonderful and born blind. We have to remember that in our own trials. It is okay 
to say that it is bad. It is okay, and it's just being truthful to say that some things are evil, some things are wrong. It's right to grieve those things. It's right to set ourselves against some of those things. But remember that God redeems and uses those things. And we have no idea what God intends to do with our trials. We have no idea what works God intends to display, but I can tell you, if you are not faithfully following Christ, relying on Him, looking for His glory, you've missed the point of why God has brought you where you are. The next thing here, He says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. So this statement and the next one about night coming when no one can work, the, the, these things go together, and we need to keep them in context here. It's day while Jesus is here in John 9. And then he's going to say night is coming. In the context here, I think the most appropriate thing for us to see him saying is that here in John 9, while he is walking on earth, it's day the cross is coming. Remember, John always has his eye on the cross. Night is coming when none of them can do anything but sit in darkness. You see this picture, while Jesus is there with the disciples, because did you notice he included them in me? So Jesus is the unique, significant one. God sent him but he includes his disciples in this. While he's here, we must do the work. But there's a night coming when no one can work. There's a night coming when his disciples will be able to do nothing but sit in darkness, and they will. They will be helpless. This is Jesus. He's looking towards the cross. This is what the Father has sent him Herefore, so don't lose sight of the symbolism here. The works that God has sent Jesus to do is open blind eyes. When Jesus is there, the light is shining. When Jesus is not there, they're in total darkness. Nothing can be done. I used the example a couple weeks ago, like when our family goes camping and somebody inevitably forgets the flashlight. When you don't have, like, lights around, it, you know, when we go camping, there's nights, especially when we forget flashlights, they die, whatever. We're in bed at, like, 7 o'clock. Do you know why? Because once it's dark, it's kind of hard to do anything. You can't see. You can't function. When Jesus is here, we have the light by which we walk. Like that pillar of fire that the Israelites followed out of Egypt, we have Christ to see and to follow. He is the light of the world. When he is gone, it's night. Nothing can be done. Christians, he went to the cross so that you and I could see, so that you and I would have him lighting the way forever. We would have Emmanuel with us forever. We would never be blind again. Christian, you and I can see. Do we use our eyes? Do we look for God's glory? 
Do we desire to be like Christ here? One of the most famous lines in a hymn in the last century, you know it, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. That's what the Father sent the Son for. The grace of salvation, the grace of making blind people able to see. Christian, if God has made you able to see who you are, then God has made you able to see who he is and what you are here to do, to bring him glory with your life, to trust in him, to rest on his promises. What a precious gift you've been given. The most precious gift you possibly could be given. This man was physically born blind. You and I, we were born spiritually blind. And God has been so kind and gracious to us to open our eyes that we could see who we were. We could see that he has given grace. We could see that Jesus is intending to return, to gather in his people like a shepherd gathers in his flock, that we'll be with them. There'll be, there'll be no need for a sun or a moon in that day because the glory of the Lamb will light everything. But guys, we have Christ now. You have Christ now in your life lighting your way. What a precious gift. If you see, and there are people in your life who don't see, tell them what you see. Tell them what you see. Tell them of Christ. The only way that blind eyes get open. You've had the pleasure, the joy, the relief, the precious gift of knowing that you're not condemned anymore. Knowing that, that, that even if death came for you, that would be nothing. It would just be the way to getting to Christ more quickly. Death would be but gain. You, you see that now with your eyes. You have that hope. Are you telling other people what you see? That they may not. Another question might be, are you using the eyes that God gave you to see? You know, Paul, he talks to the Ephesians and he says, don't walk as a in the futility of their minds. So he uses the image there of you've got new legs, basically. You've got new body. Don't walk that way. But you have new eyes. Are you using them? Are you looking to Christ and actually letting Christ light your way? Gift God has given to us. It would take a miracle for us to see the way that God intends for us to see. It would take a miracle for us to be able to sing, It is well in the midst. It would take a miracle for us to, when threatened, still speak about Jesus. It would take a miracle for us to be willing to give of our time our energy, our effort to talk about Jesus one more time. 
again. It would take a miracle. And guess what? Jesus performed the miracle. We can have confidence that people are able to see if they come to Christ. People are able to see. Do you know why people are able to see? Because Jesus made it possible. We're just about to celebrate the Lord's Supper here. Minds to thinking about that now. What did it take for you and I to have blind eyes opened so that we can see who we are really? We can finally be honest with ourselves about who we are and we can be honest with ourselves about who God is. We are sinners. We are our hearts are deceitful above all things. We're desperately wicked. That's why we're blind. We live in darkness. And at a certain point in our lives, before Christ, we loved that darkness. We loved what we found there. But it was killing us. We were those the light. But Jesus has come to shine this light. And do you know how he does it? He has to address the sin. The sin has to be paid for. Justice has to roll down like mighty waters upon our sinfulness and our rebellion. What you have to see is that Jesus is there in the place of his people and that horrible, wrathful, condemning justice rolls down on him instead on the cross. The sin that you and I ought to pay for and the sin that blinds our eyes, Jesus pays for so that we could have new life in him, new eyes to see. You only get to see God truly through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to see God clearly. We see God clearly at the cross where we see his perfect justice. Every sin must be paid for. God is perfectly holy. There is no sin that God will overlook. We think of Uriah touching the, the ark and being put to death immediately because he should not have touched this holy thing. There is no sin that God will overlook. He is perfectly just. All wrongs will be righted. And at the cross, we see our sin. We see the measure of our sin. How terrible was our rebellion? How terrible was our lack of faith? How terrible was our disobedience? How terrible was our gossip? How terrible was our jealousy? How terrible were those random stray thoughts that we dwelt on? How terrible were all of those things? Perfect justice required death for them. So we see his perfect justice, but do you know what else we see at the cross? We see his perfect love. Because if perfect justice means that even the smallest, tiniest sin that you have committed demands death, perfect love is the fact that God was willing to send his son to die that death for us. He didn't have to. What it takes for you and I to see God clearly 
is that Jesus dies for us. He takes the payment for that sin so that you and I can be given new hearts, new minds, new lives, new eyes. That's what we're celebrating here this morning. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this miracle. We're going to look at what happens after this miracle next week, Lord, but we thank you this week for this beautiful picture of Jesus coming upon a blind man and not leaving him in his blindness. Lord, I know that every Christian here is so thankful that Jesus came upon us and did not leave us blind. And Father, I pray for those here this morning who do not see Jesus clearly, those who do not believe in him. Lord, I pray that they would hear exactly who Jesus is, the Son of God come to bring us to you. And that they would see their sin, what their sin costs. And as, as they see us take the Lord's Supper here this morning, they would see that what it cost is Jesus dying on the cross so we might have new life. Lord, I pray that we would bring you glory. Our lives are in your hands. Christ is our life. So in our own trials, Father, or whether those trials did not come from that, Lord, I pray that we would not get so caught up in that that we forget that what we must do now in the middle of our trials is In Christ's name, amen.